the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 195, recorded Friday, May 15th, 2015. Rack Rats. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. With us this week is Mr. Phil Cordell. Uh, he is the Director of Engineering for M3. Holy cow. He's also known as Hi-Fi. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Tim. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Uh, also with us is Tom LeBlanc. Uh, Tom is the editor of everything that EH Publishing owns, with the exception of CE Pro. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Tim. You're welcome, sir. Actually, he doesn't do CE Pro or uh, Electronic House, but everything else is right. There's a great many things I don't do. <laughs> oh, jeez. Never mind. <laughs> also, first-timer, so be nice to her, gentlemen. Uh, her name is Julie Rolls, and she is from PSA Security. How are you, ma'am? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Tim. Absolutely. Uh, Tom and I met Julie at uh, at the NSCA BLC. So I um, figured, what the heck, let's, let's get somebody on from... From uh, from PSA and and, and learn something. So uh, first up, we're going to talk about some 4K stuff, just because you know it's 4K. Um, this is from uh, Tom's group over at Commercial Integrator. Connects Pro uses HD Base T to extend 4K 230 some odd feet. Um, Phil, first thing on this, I'm not going to ask the silly question, which is, do we really need 4K to go 230 feet? Well, yes, we do. We need 4K to go like a thousand feet sometimes, um, but the first thing that I found interesting is um, they're, they're they're taking HD base T and they're according to Connects um, already pushing it um, to push 4K and to get it to you know over a hundred over 50 feet. Um, is this something? It, I guess I should say say it this way: Is did you expect? I guess. HD base T to be able to already do 4K, or is this something that you you kind of felt was already in their uh, in their bag of tricks? I assumed that it was on the horizon because uh, you know it's just kind of the next evolutionary step in what we're doing. Uh, you know, my question I'm wondering if it if it's uh, the Valens chipset that's prevalent in so much of uh, of our uh, RXTX twisted pair stuff, you know, Crestron and AMX, Extron. A lot of people are using that same chipset, and I'm wondering if they just found a way to tweak that chipset to to carry the 4K, or if this is a completely new uh, animal. So uh, I'm actually looking forward to to maybe playing with it when I get to Infocom and and checking it out and asking those questions. But yes, it's needed. It's going to be needed in the future. We still don't have a ton of fake uh, 4K content, but we will. I hope someday. Hey, remember that time we shot a 4K video, Tim? We we shot a 4K video actually yeah. about, about one year ago uh, one year ago and we'll shoot another one <laughs> and we're gonna do it again and we're gonna do it again uh, actually Phil Phil helped us out last year he uh, he was the uh, the person responsible for the uh, the, the selfie uh, the AV selfie video and song so uh, we shot that in 4K because honestly that's that's the displays that we were showing it on and it had on Fulcom so um, 
do you have first a, world problems first world problems yeah first world problems so uh you know um yeah it it, it was fun so we'll, we're going to do it again if you're interested there's a a couple of different blogs that, that Chris Neto and some other folks have written basically just take pictures and put a hashtag of AV selfie uh, during the week. So, uh, Tom, it, Phil makes up, brings up a good question of whether or not this is the same chipset that all the other HD base T stuff is done and they're, they're just tweaking it or is this a whole new, uh, a whole new animal altogether? What do you think? I, I don't know. I don't know, Tim. I don't know. What I do know is that, <laughs> What I do know is that um, this is one of the early um, in an onslaught of sure to be many 4K PRs to go out as we lead up to Infocom and after Infocom. It's going to be so 4K heavy. And I think it's interesting that the conversation that sort of critiques the language in 4K PRs is starting to pick up as you know we saw on uh, an AV Nation broadcast earlier this week, you know, some conversations about um, uh, Extron's true 4K um, specification, and I think it's just going to be interesting to kind of watch the banter leading up to Infocom and, you know, everybody kind of like self-critiquing all the 4K language around the product announcements. No, and that, that is interesting, and, and Tom, you're very kind uh, to, to specify exactly what he's talking about is, is we interviewed uh, Casey Hall uh, from, from Extron. Uh, he was very gracious to give us some of his time, and uh, it was a very interesting conversation. Uh, it was a very interesting conversation. We talked about uh, their true 4K. We talked about the fact that they're, they're not at Infocom anymore. So uh, the one thing here, and, and Phil, we'll bring it back to you on this one, um, the specification on, on this Connects thing is, let me specify this or say this exactly um allows installers to extend uncompressed 4k ultra hd signals up to 230 feet and and then a few lines down it says it supports full 4k at 30 hertz this is a conversation i've been having for about a month or two uh one actually is is with one of your colleagues tom uh, craig mccormick um had it with with uh uh with uh, uh um guy from uh, um, HD Nation the other day uh, had it actually uh, on Wednesday of this week at the uh, the uh, streaming media East conference in, in New York that I was I was able to moderate and that's the nomenclature that's that's the naming of 4k um, you gotta love the CEA and if you don't know who that is that's the Consumer Electronics Association they're encouraging their, their members to say let's start marketing 4K as 4K UHD or UHD 4K. When in all reality, the the UHD part is the one that kind of gets it gets the 4K in there at, at really 3,000 some odd you know lines. Um, Phil, is this an issue for for the clients, at least the the the, the professional or the the um, the pro level clients? Uh, maybe not so much for the, the for the residential folks, but but for the commercial line. I think in the commercial world, you're more likely to find people who are sticklers for the details. And I've run into a lot of technology managers who are very aware of the difference in true 4K and, and what people do you know, with the refresh rate to maybe manipulate uh, the spec so that it seems like they're, they're shooting out you know, hotter video than they are. Um, I don't really think it's a huge deal, but I'm sh you know working in pro AV, there are always those guys, oftentimes the smartest dudes in the room and sometimes they're the ones, you know, tasked with making decisions for their companies about what technology to buy and those guys will bust your chops, you know, they know their stuff uh, and I think that's probably a little more prevalent in the pro world than it would be maybe on the resi side 
you know, where if you're just sitting at your home theater and your your screen looks great, all your friends are going to tell you it looks great, you're good to go. You know, you don't have to nitpick the the details. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, let's get uh, let's get Julian on this next uh, this next story. Um, how AVI SPL continues to dominate the industry, and it's a, it's a story from AV Network. Uh, it goes on to talk about how they have spread their rings, and they've got a lot of, of processes in their organization. And if you don't know who AVI SPL is, it is the largest um, United States-based uh, integrator. They have offices literally from the northwest um, to the southeast and, and everything in between. Uh, but it goes on to talk about, you know, an organization that size and, and almost like an organism that size, a, a company that size almost tends to be. Uh, Julie, you know, when it comes to whether it's PSA or, or, or any other organization, when you're trying to get that many people in line and, and um, almost use the Borg type, you know, assimilate, you know, what are some of the processes that, that, that integrators can do and, and companies can do to get their people on board with, with their processes? <laughs> Gosh, you know, Tim, I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm very new to this industry. Uh, I've only been with PSA about six months now. And uh, my focus is more on training and development. Um, so as far as the integrator industry, you know, I'm not as familiar in, in a lot of these processes um, as I came from the automotive and diesel industry. <laughs> um I'm still learning the loops as well, to be real honest with you. Well, and, and honestly, the, your, your education focus is why I wanted to ask you the question is, is that's one of the things that, that the article says that they do is they train their folks in these certain ways. So when it comes to training people and it comes to educating the folks down the line, you know, how do you keep, uh, how do you keep everybody on the same page, whether it's, you know, your, your class or, or your employees? Wow, I think you know to keep everybody on the same page today, it's it's uh, communication, and and technology is definitely driving that. You know, I I think that that's something that uh, certainly I don't think we're the only only company, but but there's that challenge of how do you get to a greater market and keep everybody on the same page and communicating. Um, I would just have to say it's it's a big integration of of both technology and and maintaining a human touch I think that that's a a huge key to it you know with, with technology I think that we get so um, used to it we, we don't have that human touch and and to really get people on board and and all on the same page you've got to maintain that human touch that's, that's a very good answer uh, mr. LeBlanc a, a company of this size uh, you you guys have covered them you know your entire you know the entire uh, length of, of, of commercial integrator what are some of the, the, the positives of having a, a group this size, a company this size of AVISPL? Yeah, so I thought it was really interesting. In Lindsay's story, at the bottom, you see somebody posted a comment that was kind of like snarkily saying, dominate's a strong word, because she used the word dominate in her headline. But I think that is a, a pretty valid word to use to describe you know, AVISPL's role in the industry. And... It doesn't mean superiority, but they're obviously dominating the industry in a lot of ways. In one, in one respect, you know, their footprint is ginormous. And you know, everywhere you go, you're in an AVI-SBL market. And one of, the, one of the reasons that I think that they're, you know, they're kind of leading the industry 
in um, in terms of at least presence is that they have really good infrastructure within their organization. So like the event that um, Lindsay's story is about is their annual sales summit thing that they do, yep. which I've been to in the past. And when you go to something like that, that's when you really get, you know, you really kind of walk away impressed with the way they do things down there. Like at one point they'll bring the press into a room and they just kind of sit the press people on one side of the room. I mean, it could have been different this year for all I know. I wasn't there, but they sit the press people on one side of the room, and then they kind of line up a whole team of executives, each that has a, a very kind of specific um, area of the market that they're in charge of. And when you get a chance to ask those guys questions and watch them kind of like dive deeply into their respective parts of the business, you get a lot of respect for that organization and how well they or how much they worry about the little things. And I think the big thing that comes out of that, you know, from a reporter's perspective is AVISBL is always a good company to ask questions about what's coming next because they have the time to devote personnel to trying to figure that out and to researching it and kind of vetting it. So you never feel like when you're asking questions as the reporter to AVISBL, they're just kind of throwing stuff, stuff up against the wall. You kind of feel like they've also been talking about that stuff internally largely because they have the infrastructure that allows them to spend time doing it. So AVSBL, you know, they're a pretty impressive organization. You can, you can say what you want about them, but they have a lot of very positive things going on for them. The other thing you have is, is they're, a good, they're a good company to ask those questions because they're going to have, they're going to have had conversations with manufacturers who may or may not ha you know, feel free to tell Tom LeBlanc, editor of Commercial Integrator Magazine, or, you know, uh, Craig McCormick or Lindsay Adler, uh, what's coming down the pipeline. But they darn well better tell ADISPO what's coming down the pipeline. So as they're doing jobs and as they're doing designs, they know what's coming. So, you know, they, they're also a good uh, a good resource for a reporter to, to maybe uh, pick up on one or two things that... Um, that maybe they, they probably, you know, wouldn't have gotten from directly from the manufacturer. So that's yeah. also... That's a great point. The first time I went to that sales thing, that sales event that they have for AVISBL, the thing that really struck me was the size of the show floor. And Lindsay in her article kind of commented that they scaled that back for a few reasons. But they they put on a trade show that in my mind was very significant. You know, it was it was a if you if you were to compare it to like some of the regional events in this industry, it was about ten times that. Wow. And it really impressed me that an integration firm could warrant all these manufacturers deeming it so important to spend the time and money and resources to, you know, all that it takes to, to, to plan a presence at a trade show just for one integrator. And it does take a lot of time to do that. So I think it's reflective of how important AVISBL is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it does. Uh, all right, uh, Phil, from a, the opposite side, what are some of the drawbacks of not necessarily, you know. Obviously, your your you know M three is an integration firm, so you know there there you can take it from that aspect, uh, but from the industry aspect as well. You know, what are some of the drawbacks of having a um, a, a company this size? You know, in our space. Well, I think it, whenever a company gets that large, it's important for them to have processes to to help the work continue to move through. You know, and I and from what I've read, I believe that they do, and that is as an integrator. I mean, I find their structure quite impressive as well. You know, and I think that's something that everybody kind of would love to to be in their boat 
at some point, you know, that your firm does so well that you just keep uh, gobbling up territory, you know, because your company culture and your work ethic and the way you do things uh, is superior to the, the way everybody else in your area does them, that you just kind of take over everywhere that you go. Uh, and I think AVISPL has done a, an excellent job of, of growing that footprint. Uh, but, you know, obviously it, it's just with as with any other business you can get too top heavy and uh and all of a sudden you know maybe guys aren't getting the the support they need on the engineering side or design side or quote side or who you know who knows what uh and i don't have you know the insight into their processes uh at that level to know whether or not all their people are getting what they need but i would assume that those are the types of of uh issues that would arise in an av firm if you got too large yeah absolutely uh, actually, AVISPL is is where I met uh, one of my favorite AV tweeps. Uh, her hashtag or her hashtag her her symbol is is uh, her name on Twitter is is AV uh, AV Jessica. It's Jessica Spicer. I don't know. Actually, Spicer is not her last name anymore. She got married a few months ago. So, um, but if you're at Infocom, check her out. Um, all right. Next story we're going to talk about here is a brand spanking new power strip. But don't 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 turn off the the podcast quite yet. Uh, there's a reason I bring, I bring this up. This is freaking genius. All right. And I don't, I, I'm not using that term lightly. It's flipping genius. Um, if you're watching the video, it, it's, it's a power strip and it's a, it, how do I put this? It's a power strip that lets you put, you know, several, um, several plugins together without covering up the other ones. Cause it's all one giant, you know, uh, you know, one long ground, one long left and right side. It's absolutely genius. Um, so here's the thing. Here's the story. Um, this is from uh, Julie Jacobson over at CE Pro, which is one of uh, one of Tom's coworkers. Um, the the guy who we interviewed, his name is Joe Whitaker. He is is putting it um, up to a company called Quirky. And what you have to do is you've got to you know basically give it a, a thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, so I'm going to ask you three uh, whether or not this makes a whole lot of sense for 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 your cl- clients or your customers. Uh, Mr. Mr. Phil, we'll start with you. Uh, yes or no on on the uh, it's actually the name of the thing is called the slide. S L Y D E. Electric slide. I'm sorry. The ele- very nice. It's electric. Oh gosh. <laughs> Big thumbs up from an integration standpoint because you have no idea how many little whips and things we've had to buy to optimize your power you know either that or you're buying a whole another rack mount conditioner or you know or strip or whatever so yeah the, the, the this is solving an age-old problem of uh of the rack rats as i just made up to call ourselves i like that rack rats yeah. all right uh julie from your standpoint whether it's you know you personally in the office or or the, the folks who are at the psa does this make does this make sense uh, to me, it seems like it would, you know, for the space utilization and, and organizing of your uh, connections. My only question is, is do devices interfere with each other in the power source when um, they're they're right next to each other and there's no separate um, separator between them? That's a good question. That's a, that would be one that, that we could give Phil to, to check it out and, and test it for us. Um, <laughs> uh, Mr. LeBlanc, from your standpoint, uh, does the electric slide as you know, uh, make a whole lot of sense? Um, I guess, if it works well. I just think it's funny. You know, Julie is one of the industry's foremost uh, power strip reporters. You know, this is the say, category. Say, wait, that... yeah, we'll do a timeout. What? 
No, I'm just kidding. Um, so no, I Joe wouldn't Whittaker, doubt it. She's been doing it long enough, but that, yeah. <laughs> Joe Whitaker is a, he's a blogger for CE Pro and, and an integrator, and, and that's why it's an appropriate story for CE Pro. But um, I don't care for the name, Electric Slide, because it kind of taps into one of my lifelong pet peeves. <laughs> how, how is it that everybody other than me who's ever attended a wedding knows all the different moves to the electric slide? <clears throat> okay. I don't understand. Okay, no, here, here's the thing. So, Tom and I are the exact same age, roughly. I think I'm actually a few months older than he is. So, Tom, I'm, I'm going to talk to you as, as, a, as a fellow Gen Xer. You obviously were not paying attention in high school because <laughs> not only was it every wedding, it was every prom, it was every dance, it was everything, every social event we went to. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't invited to the show. Well, maybe, maybe. That's a whole other story. I, I can't help you with that one then. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Uh, from Installation International. Uh, an opinion piece uh, about the opportunities from surveillance and access control for the integration firms. Julie, we're going to start with you on this one. Um, it's an interesting... It's an interesting topic that we've actually covered this a couple of times, and so I, I wanted actually, since we have Julie on, I wanted to, to get her her take, and then you, uh, you and uh, Phil and, and Tom's on this. Um, uh, is there? I mean, it, well, I guess I shouldn't say is there. What are the opportunities um, for surveillance? What are the opportunities for security uh, in the, in the residential and or commercial uh, uh, installation for integrators? What are the opportunities? Boy, I, you know, I think that the opportunities are, are everywhere in, and not just in residential and, and or commercial. You know, every night I'm watching the news and, and almost every night on the news I'm seeing, you know, another police station or district that, that is now carrying cameras and, and another way of, of surveilling the public. Um, and, and every time I see these news reports, I just think, wow, what an incredibly growing industry and what, what great opportunities, regardless of what, whether you are commercial or residential. You know, it's, it's, uh, I know I've heard that we are on camera on average over 200 times a day, the average American, and, and, I, and I know that's only going to increase. So uh, to me, that says good money for this market and great opportunities. All right. Uh, Phil, from your standpoint, what are some of the opportunities that we have, whether it's commercial or residential? I mean, I can just speak from experience on the commercial side. Uh, you know, we recently launched a structured cabling division a little over a year ago. And, uh, you know, it's finally starting to shake out the way that we had hoped and planned, which is that we get in there earlier during the uh, construction process and get in with the technology managers, with the people making decisions earlier. Uh, than the AV is typically discussed and because perhaps we've already won that bid or that that uh, contract to do the structured cabling where we kind of get the first look on the AV side uh, and vice versa you know when we're in there you know, putting in conference rooms anything of that nature if, if they haven't yet addressed security needs surveillance needs uh, or certainly data cabling needs then you know we're, we're right there for them to, to help take them the rest of the way so I think uh, anytime you can kind of cross-pollinate the markets like that keep it all under one roof and, and expand uh, your capabilities it's a good thing for business all right, uh, Tom. From your standpoint, whether it's uh, you know commercial or residential, what are some of the the opportunities that the uh, integrator has for these? I think I think they're significant. Um, I, a couple of years ago, I, I remember 
a really common kind of buzz term in like the AV conversations was about how like firms have to do a better job of becoming business partners for with their clients and part of that involves you know being able to provide them with you know valuable information that kind of you know happens post installation and being able to continually provide them with something that helps them to run their businesses better and i think you know ip surveillance is is one of the areas that kind of allows the security integrators to take even more of a stake in that um you know like if you're if you're an integrator that has retail clients you know being able to provide information about the way people are moving around a store you know how long they're stopping in front of a particular display seems really valuable to the client especially a client who's sophisticated enough to do something with that information um and then you know when it comes to like beyond surveillance like access control you know all sorts of corporate clients are you know accessing information that comes from their access control systems the comings and goings of their employees and you know storing data about the different people in their organizations and who's coming in and out of their their doors um i think they're I think we're at the start of a very significant conversation about that. So would you would you recommend um uh, back to the the partnership? Would you recommend partnering with with some of these firms or just trying to kind of do it on your own? I don't know that I'd make a recommendation, but I know like um well, I want to I apologize if I get any of this wrong. but i believe that vector security which is a very prominent uh, pittsburgh area security integration firm and is actually very good at dealing with you know analytics did partner with uh, a firm to help them to manage analytics for their customers and you know provide being able to provide that value is something that they obviously deemed important enough to make an investment in yeah yeah absolutely All right, uh another couple story, actually one more story and then we're going to uh get uh, to a new little segment here. Uh this comes to, from our buddy Julie Jacobson, the foremost security uh the foremost uh power strip uh, authority in the AV industry. Um it, it's a it's a blog post called it, it's well, this is the title, A Bunch of Bull, They're Not My Customers Anyway. Uh and what Julie's talking about is are the DIY folks, right? Um I, I'm not going to say full disclosure, but just as a as an aside, We have a DIY show here on AV Nation. Uh Tim Gray and Tony Zotti do a really good job of talking about everything from do it yourself home automation to do it yourself leather. And I'll let you go to that part of the site and check them out for yourself some really cool good shows. But she goes on to say, you know, these are the folks that may very well screw up, right? May or may not, right? They they may they might install an Arduino system. or find some old X10 in a in a garbage can somewhere and put it in to control the lights. Um but they might get to a point where they need your help uh installation and and, and uh, integrators. Uh so Phil is is Julie right? Are they are they your customers still even though they're trying to do it themselves or is it you know would you rather just kind of let them be on their own? Well, you know, this is probably more of a, a residential type issue, but my typical uh response to the stuff is I'm always glad to help you know if I've got the time I'll help friends I'll help uh certainly people in the biz and it has happened that you know we've we've helped out 
people on their uh, home installations that ended up being decision makers in their companies and could help uh, help us on the business side, you know, doing business to business commercial work for them. Because you certainly can get all jacked up from things you read on the internet and think you can install an entire system yourself with no prior experience because it's just that easy now. Uh, but that's not always the case, man. Experience is invaluable. And so just having configured a switch or, you know, terminated the cabling, whatever the case may be, uh, all that stuff. If somebody has never done that before and they think it's just a walk in the park, absolutely they're potential uh, customers or new friends to help out with that stuff. And hopefully that, uh, you know, blossoms into a working relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Tom, it's the only thing worse than doing, I'm sorry, the only thing worse than doing AV is doing AV for free. <laughs> Amen, brother. You guys know what I'm talking about. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, Tom, from your standpoint, uh, it, did you, does Julie have a point? You know, are are these folks potential customers, or or would you uh, would you say that integrators should just kind of leave them to their own devices? Yeah, I mean, I think the way I read the story is a little bit more broadly. So I don't think she's just talking about DIYers. I think what she's really talking about is a problem in both the residential and to a lesser degree in the commercial market, where integrators kind of like frame what their customers ought to be and need to do a better job of thinking beyond those parameters. So, I mean, she brings up a very good example in the article, which is that in the residential market, you go back like four years ago, most integrators will almost universally dismiss the whole concept of Sonos being something that they would ever consider installing. What they didn't anticipate was that the way homeowners were consuming home technology was changing and Sonos was more in line with what the modern and evolving technology enthused homeowner wanted. So integrators, in my opinion, had too limited of a scope of what they ought to be doing in order to provide value to homeowners. And I think there are a lot of lessons that come from that story, that come from Julie's story, that go beyond just DIYers. And I think commercial integrators can also take a lesson that they shouldn't try to define what their clients need them to do. They should try to determine and strategize based on what they think that their clients' evolving needs are going to be. And um, that's what I took away from the story. Okay, very good. Uh, and Julie, from, from your standpoint, would you advise uh, the folks there at, at PSA, the, the members there, um, to, you know, like Tom said, you know, you know what, help anybody out, you know, and, and, and don't define uh, who your client is, I guess, beforehand. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's it's a potential returning customer in the future. You know, it's it's another way to spread word of mouth about your business, and and any sort of spreading of the word of your business, you know, through word of mouth is is going to be beneficial to you. You know, I've I've heard the stat that for every good shopping experience, uh, a customer may go tell one to two people. For you know a bad shopping experience, they're going to go tell a minimum of eight to ten. So you're going to jump in and you're going to help somebody out who might be that DIY or or went to Costco to get their uh, system or or wherever else. But you know, to me, this is a potential opportunity to to boost that word of mouth and and good marketing and advertising for your company. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, as we kind of wrap up here, uh, this is this is uh, a new segment. Uh, that uh, uh, my buddy George Tucker is his suggested we're going to do, and it, I, I liked it. He did it a couple weeks ago. 
So, uh, Mr. LeBlanc, uh, editor of, of both uh, Commercial Integrator and uh, Tech Decisions, uh, we're going to give you a few minutes to talk about what, uh, what the community, what the folks at uh, Commercial Integrator uh, and Tech Decisions are talking about, sir. Okay. So the first story that I wanted to talk about was one that I wrote, um, which was about how marketing ain't what it used to be. And what struck me, I've always had a lot of respect for the folks who do marketing. I think it's a challenging job. I think that it's one of those areas in which if business is going uh, badly, marketing is always blamed. Sometimes the marketing staff is affected when times get bad, maybe before um, uh, it affects other parts of the company. And when things are going well, marketing tends not to get a lot of the credit. Um, so I have a lot of respect for the marketing folks in the industry. And I just think it was important to pay attention to how challenging and diverse what it means to be a marketing person in this industry has become. It's not really about getting your name out there anymore. It's more about getting out there and establishing yourself as a thought leader. So almost everybody that I talked to for this article was really, really focused on creating content. And it's not even so much about like, you know, like advertorials or, or anything like that. It was more about like finding platforms to, you know, establish yourself as a thought leader, you know, writing smart columns, being a source in other people's articles, you know, doing short videos. And then being really savvy with social media and with, with other types of outreach and being good at getting um, content out there. And, you know, to me, I, I think, you know, that position has changed a lot and it's just worthy of, of paying a lot of attention to. But one anecdote from the story, which I thought was really interesting, uh, one of the, the sources that I talked to who we all know, John Green from mm -hmm. Advanced AV, yeah. I was trying to get, I was interviewing him and I was trying to get at how he decided to create his Twitter persona, which if you follow him on Twitter, he's funny. You know, he makes me laugh. Um, but I think that companies often struggle with what they want to do on Twitter. And I asked a lot of questions to the different folks about their Twitter strategies. And I thought his point was really interesting. He was saying, there's no difference between me, you know, making a little joke on Twitter than there is with me, you know, in a sales role, being out on a golf course and telling a joke. And I thought, I really like that. I really like the way he sort of encapsulated, you know, what you want to do with Twitter is you want to figure out who you are and what you're good at, and you want to project that. And you don't want to try to be something that you're not. So I like that story. I don't know. Do, is, this, is this also kind of a roundtable forum, Tim? Does sure, anybody absolutely. else have any comments on you know how you know the way companies are going to market has changed a lot over the last few years you know it's it's interesting that you say that Tom I uh, I'm currently working with a sales and marketing committee here at PSA and uh, we just had a, a big conference last week PSA Tech and one of the things was I I had asked my marketing committee sales and marketing committee to be involved with the um, with the roundtables and, and acting as subject matter experts, you know, a lot of the integrators said, I don't feel that I'm the expert and, and I don't, I honestly don't feel very comfortable being put in that position. And I think a lot of it is due to so many of the changes in the industry and, and much of what you were talking to. 
Yeah, I can say at our firm, we've hired somebody exclusively to do our marketing who's got an AV marketing background because it's different than, you know, your typical uh, marketing gig, I think. And it's important to understand, you know, how important it is to do the video, as you mentioned, in the, the case studies. You know, we that's something that we really focus on because if you're trying to sell a custom system, you know, you'd like to have other cool custom systems to point to and say we can do this and more for you. And so that's, you know, maybe a little more outside of the box than your typical marketing folks who can just push the same product over and over and over. Yeah. Almost everybody I talked to for the story was trying to put together some kind of an AV hip hop uh, video. Well, <laughs> are they lucky? Uh, so, Toe, I'm sure you want me to move along to the next story. So the next one um, was about, uh, this was a profile that I really enjoyed writing. Uh, I think we called it something like the golden rules of business, how to how to, um, how to, have a good exit plan or something like that. I'm sure you'll see the, how the to headline. Re how how to retire with almost no regrets. Right. So I write these profiles a lot. And this is one of my favorite ones that I ever got to write because this guy had a good career. And when I say a good career, I mean, I have no idea how much money he made. What I mean is he just he just approached it in a very, um, a very organic way. I'm trying to think of the right word. But he, uh, he did everything the right way. He started his company after you know being in a role in which he had a lot of interaction with other integration firms and he kinda took note of the things that they did right and a lot of the things that they did wrong and he really tried to you know start a company doing things the way manufacturers and customers the way everybody else would want a company to treat them and things grew you know things happened to the company and and regionally for the company he had relationships that kind of led to it being successful, and in the end, you know, he stepped away into semi-retirement earlier this year. And when he was doing the interview with me, he talked about how he has one regret um, in terms of the way he ran his business, and the one regret was that um, he feels like he gave people too much leeway, and or he gave them too much credit. In other words, he was too good to some employees who maybe were taking the slack and running with it a little bit too much and you know he was giving them too much slack with which to um, to hang themselves essentially and you know my comment to him was if that's your one regret that's not a regret that's something that at the end of your career you're gonna pre feel pretty comfortable with the fact that you were willing to give people you know so much leeway to to succeed or fail and that you were so forgiving to your employees this was a good story about a guy who did a good job running his company, and, and I, I really hope everybody reads this one. Yeah, and Mike, Mike I, I met Mike for the first time at the NSCA BLC, and uh, he's the new NSCA uh, president. Great, great guy. He really is. So. Yeah. Um, the next story, I'm sorry. Yeah, just if I could comment on that, I'll yeah. say I've read quite a few uh, of the profiles as well, and this one, not to sound corny, but, I mean, it was inspiring. You know, it was because that's as an integrator, that's the deal. That's what you want to do. You want to be able to roll with the punches, uh, scale up for growth, find the right people, and create that that culture that he so clearly had there, where people just love coming to work. And we've kind of got that here as well, where subs that work with us in different companies say it just feels different. You know, people like being here. Uh, so it was really great to read his experience in that and to read how he uh, 
you know, kind of set it up to, to keep it going even after he stepped away. So great article. Thank you. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, K through 12 tech decisions article. And by the way, um, we're in the midst of a soft relaunch or refresh of the K through 12 tech decisions site. So we definitely do appreciate it if people check out the site and let us know if there are any hiccups or anything like that. We're in the soft launch phase. So, you know, please check it out. Yeah, but anyway, it looks much uh, different. Yeah, it's a lot different and it's it's awesome. We're really really happy with it. Um interesting trend that I think is something that integrators ought to be paying attention to K through 12 integrators. The way classrooms are designed has changed significantly over the last few years with you know, philosophies like the flipped classroom and, you know, let the, the way uh, Chris Iwinski, who wrote the story, the editor of K-12 through Tech Decisions, puts it, teachers aren't so much the distributors of knowledge as they are the facilitators of knowledge nowadays, um, meaning they're not talking at students, they're helping students to, you know, come to the, or arrive at the knowledge themselves and then kind of discuss it in a different kind of form than, what you know, all four of us are 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 used to from when we were growing up. My teachers were mean growing up. They talked at us, <laughs> um, but the way classrooms are designed um, is very different. And for any K through 12 integrator, there's an opportunity to have a conversation with all your K through 12 clients about what they ought to be doing to kind of reflect this trend, and for them to get very um, ahead of it, you know, and to do some research and establish yourself as an integrator who can you know, help um, school districts evolve to, to meet this new demand. So this was an interesting story to me. Um, Tim, you, you, you're, you have an interesting perspective on the education market. Have you noticed this kind of flipping around trend? Uh, yeah, it is. And, and what's, what's interesting is you've got, so I, have a, I used to be a tech manager. Um, and then I've got two kids in school. And, and actually the, the, the picture there from the from the article is exactly my my nine-year-old's classroom right they have the four different desks they're all facing each other they have a different each little pod or each little collaborative space allows the students to kind of work together the teacher is able to go from from pod to pod to pod helping out helping the students kind of you know um, get the information and, and, and facilitate the learning but they then they also have the technology uh, portion which is um, uh, one central location for for the teacher to do kind of a, a more more established uh, presentation. So yeah, it's 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 a neat thing to to watch and see. Um, we've got a couple of, of folks that, that that Tom you're aware of, but you know folks like Ernie Bailey at UAMS that have been doing flip classrooms for about a year year and a half now with some pretty positive results. So yeah, additional story that I wanted to talk about. Um, this is one, uh, this is submitted by an integrator, um, Energy Media, which is also based uh, uh, in, in or around Pittsburgh. Um, Bill, he just has an interesting perspective with this column. He's just kind of challenging the conventional notion of going to your clients and talking to them about return on investment, ROI. And to me, the reason he wrote the article I think, is that he's recognizing that simply talking about ROI sells what integrators do short, in my opinion. So you can talk, you can talk numbers, you can talk about you know, how much it costs to 
um, to invest in a technology and you can talk about um, what it saves the client on the back end but by only doing that integrators are leaving out a lot of other factors that provide a lot of value to to their clients so for he brings up the example of um, you know you can sell video conference and you can talk about the ROI of saving money on travel and there's a definitive answer to that and that might sink in with the client but integrators are selling themselves short if they don't talk about you know the value of being able to you know have more of those meetings because you're you know because you're home the value of having employees who are happier because they get to go home at night and see their families and sleep in their own bed instead of traveling on the road there's a lot of sort of intangible benefits to so much of the stuff that integrators do and uh, I just kinda like Bill's point of view and I really recommend that article yeah if we only we could put that in a, in a, in a presentation uh, and uh, you know as as you're presenting the the uh, integration plan, you know, also put in there. Yes, this costs, you know, ten thousand dollars, but you're going to be able to be home or or whatever the 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 intangibles are. So yeah, that is the tough part. Yeah, it is. All right, uh, one couple, well, actually one one other last quick story. It's not really up for I mean, you guys can comment on it if you want. But uh, Infocom this year, or this year, this week, uh, announced their award winners for 2015. Uh, we'll put a link on it. But a, a couple of notables, uh, mainly people who have been on, on AV Nation. The rest of them are pretty cool too. Uh, but our buddy Paul Zeely, CTSD from AMX, uh, is getting the Educator of the Year award. Uh, Ron Camden, Vice President of Global Sales for Biamp, is uh, getting Volunteer of the Year Award. Um, and then a gentleman that will be on this, uh, this program in about two weeks, Jeremy Caldera, uh, will get, uh, he's from ZDI, uh, just north of here in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois, uh, will get the Young AV Professionals Award. And actually, ZDI uh, was the first Apex company um, back, in, uh, back in the fall. So... All right. Uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, Miss Julie, thank you for, for uh, uh, dealing with us and, and suffering through. And uh, Julie Rolls is from PSA Security. Uh, where can people find out more about PSA Security or, or you? Uh, well, we're currently transitioning to a new website. Um, but as of right now, you can find out more information about PSA Security Network at BuyPSA. That's B-U-Y-P-S-A uh, dot com. And uh, PSA Security Network is a co-op of uh, security dealers and integrators. So, um, you know, we're always looking for new members and, and interested parties. So please reach out to me. All right, very cool. Uh, Mr. Tom LeBlanc, editor of both Tech Decisions and Commercial Integrator. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Tim. Absolutely. And uh, where can people find out more about you or Commercial Integrator? Well, we are in that soft launch phase of K-12K-12TechDecisions.com. We want you guys to tell us what you like about it, but also point out hiccups so we can fix them. It's a soft launch. Um, also, the other um, tech decision sites, corporate tech decisions, higher ed tech decisions, and worship tech decisions, commercialintegrator.com. You can follow Com Integrator or LeBlanc Tom. All right, that is on Twitter. Uh, and last but not least, my buddy Phil Cordell. Hi-Fi. A very, very fastly fast rising star. Uh, now he is the, uh, the director of engineering uh, at M3 and also uh, the AV Pro. Thank you, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. You you probably know. Find me on Twitter, the underscore AV underscore Pro. I don't know if you noticed my officially licensed 
AV Nation gear here. Very nice. Very got nice. that. Got a mug here. Yep. And actually, you know, I'm a collector of all things AV Nation. I was down on Canal Street looking for officially licensed AV gear uh, from AV Nation. I found some bootleg stuff. Oh, I found no. this AV Nation stapler, which is something that I'll actually <laughs> use a lot. So that's nice. And then, uh, you know what else they just happened to have? Oh, it was man. it was AV Nation instant oatmeal. I mean, that just seemed really <laughs> random, but it makes sense because I like to start every day with Aviation. Well, so that's, just, it goes great nice. with breakfast, you know? Oh, man. Oh, I, yeah, I got nothing after that. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, the uh, the Kickstarter finally came to a conclusion. Uh, that's what the T-shirt the and the mug, Phil, was nice enough to be one of our sponsors and um, had so many interesting uh hurdles as it were uh with with the uh, the swag that we gave away but finally got all that out and and uh it's it's on its way if you haven't gotten it yet let me know uh but phil will be at, at infocom tom uh will be uh, doing the john green thing this year which is doing it through social so um <laughs> if you're if you're interested in what we're doing go by the website avnation.tv avnation.tv uh we are doing something kind of cool kind of uh, neat uh we've got some underwriters who are coming up uh, alongside us and uh, helping us uh, do certain things like the tweet up, like uh, this, that, and the other. The tweet up will be Thursday, uh, June 18th from uh, 4 to 6 p.m. in room W223A at Infocom. Our booth is uh, 6667. Tom, do you guys do you know your booth number yet? I should have come prepared, Tim. All right, but re I re research it while I'm talking for a second here, and I'll, I'll come back to you if, if, if you can. Um, okay. Our booth number is 6667. Both of those are in conjunction with Hall D. Uh, but we've got, uh, I would like to thank our, our underwriters right now. Uh, we have uh, HD Base T, um, Draper, Vadio, and, uh, and of course, uh, our buddies at, at Middle Atlantic. Um, so if you think that we're cool, if you think that, that they should be doing that, well, I want you to thank those folks as well. Uh, and also my company, uh, Innovad uh, Innovations and Design, are doing so as well. Um, so we'll be giving it more information about what that means to be an underwriter, what, uh, what is all involved. Uh, but these are some folks that, that think that what we're doing here at Aviation is kind of neat and kind of cool, and, and they want us to keep doing it. So uh, do you have it there yet, Mr. LeBlanc? No. If okay. you kill uh, 20 more seconds. 20 Jim. seconds. I can do that. All right. Um, we've got some really cool uh, programs coming up. Uh, I've done an awful lot of specials this month. Uh, one was with Stuart Wrench from IEG talking about uh, a cool $1.8 million they got uh, in round funding. Uh, another one was with uh, our buddy Jennifer Willard. Uh, founder of Women in AV Wave, so check that out. And also, uh, Tom mentioned earlier, uh, the Vice President of Marketing uh, for and Sales for Extron was Casey Hall. So all of those are on our website. Tom. You are a pro, Tim. Good yeah. work. Uh, booth 2687. Holy cow, you're way, you're much. You must have slipped somebody a 20. Yeah, this is this is news. This is a new booth number as of today. Wow. Breaking but... Good for Breaking you. news. Good for you guys. That's awesome. Yeah, we pissed somebody off. We're over in D. So, <laughs> <laughs> so go see Commercial Integrators booth. Go see uh, go see our booth. Uh, we'll be doing some stuff. And uh, so yeah, but go by the website avnation.tv avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been AV Week.